Come in. What's up, Mr. Stevens? I just feel that this talk isn't gonna end well. No matter what I do, it's just never good enough for you. It's brought to my attention that you're still not following protocol on cardboard recycling. I don't know what the problem is. I got my job done. I got all the cases thrown. And I recycled my cardboard just like everyone else. I got the job done. Your team lead told me that you refuse to follow company protocol. He's telling me that you've come up with your own system. Yeah, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't really remember what the company policy is. I just know that I have a job to do and I get it done. So I don't see why it matters what- Company policy is to bail our cardboard when we're done with it, as we're done with it. Your team lead has witnessed you saving all your cardboard until break time. And then after break, returning to take care of it then. You know, I really don't like being interrupted. I will interrupt you whenever I see fit. I have a responsibility to keep this team moving. In 25 years, we have never had a bad performance evaluation. We have never missed one with financial objective. We have never missed one budgeted objective. And I will be darned if that changes. I just don't feel like you ever understand me. I mean, to you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if people are happy and it, it doesn't matter if the job gets done. It just matters if it gets done your way. It is my job to teach you how to do things the right way. It is my job to make sure that you're doing your job properly. And if you just want to go thinking for yourself and march into the beat of your own drum, then I can't have that disorganization here. I can't have anybody falling out of line. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to look for a new job then. Well, I guess if you feel that you cannot correct your performance, then that's the only option here. If you would like a letter of recommendation, submit your request to Human Resources, and we will get that fulfilled accordingly. Your request to Human Resources, and we will get that fulfilled accordingly. This is Coach Jerry of the Sovereign Mind, Body, and Soul podcast with Coach Jerry. And like I already said, I am Coach Jerry. I want to thank you for tuning in to, this, to the Sovereign Mind, Body, and Soul podcast. For those of you who don't know, I am a health coach. I specialize in delivering fulfillment through purpose and getting you in the best shape of your life. One thing I have a difficult time doing is describing exactly what it is I do and how I serve. So I figured, you know what, just make a podcast. You can talk about all the favorite things you like to talk about, and you can let people understand what it is that you do. Now, because health is a multifaceted thing, health is something that just can't be sourced in your body fat percentage or in how much muscle mass you have. Those are components of it, but those aren't health. And so what I do is I, I, I address all of it. We address all of it. And a big part of what I address is what we're going to cover today. But yeah, this podcast is my heart and soul being shared with you guys. It's my approach to health. It's my approach to life. Although it's never medical advice, it is coming from my backstory. That's where I lived a long life of pain, misery, illness, going to doctor after doctor, medication after medication, treatment after treatment, only to see no relief. And that just kept me on a downward spiral. I developed a lot of adult diseases at a young age, none of which could be healed through medicine. Once I found the holistic integrated approach, the mind, body, soul, network connection approach, things just started turning around very rapidly. So in my career as a health coach, I've been able to share this knowledge with people and to see amazing turnarounds, amazing transformations. 
but working just one-on-one -on -one with people, you can help, only help so many. So it's my mission to share this with as many people as possible, help you break free from the dependence of pharma and your doctor. It doesn't mean we don't see our doctors, doesn't mean we don't continue to consult our medical professional teams, but it's about taking the locust of power back and putting it in your own hands because that's where your health belongs. At the end of the day, no one's gonna care more about your health than you do. Now, before we get started, if you guys could do me a huge solid because Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, where all, all these platforms where this podcast is being streamed right now are heavily into the censorship mode. They like to control what you're able to hear. They like to control what you're able to see. They like to keep information out of your hands and money in their own pockets. Because that is the case, I would love for you to support my other efforts on other platforms. If you could go to Substack, leave me a five-star or follow me on Substack and then go to Spotify, leave me a five-star review help get this podcast in the algorithm so I don't have to dink around on Facebook too much longer, I'd be forever grateful. You can find both those links in my bio. And after the show is edited and uploaded, I will make it available for, for, for to be put in the comments as well. All right. So that being said, welcome. Welcome. Today, we are going to talk about one of my favorite things that I do with my clients, and that is personality work. Why do I love personality work? Well, because you can get a lot of answers in a very short period of time. When you get down to the personality assessment, right there, you can see what someone's pattern is, you can see what they're avoiding, you can see what they're resisting, you can see what they're over illuminating, over highlighting, over expressing. Um, but the real key to, to it is you get down to their core motivations, you get down to their biggest fears, you get down to their, their biggest desires. Now, I don't know about every personality system, but the one that I use makes all of that possible. So, yeah, we'll just get started here. So, you know, personality work, <clears throat> a lot of us have done it. In fact, I've never met anybody that hasn't taken some sort of personality test. And after what I know, what I, after I found out what I know now, I feel just awful for the amount of attention I gave to the previous personality tests that I took in my life. You know, they become cliche, Myers-Briggs, DISC assessment, the Enneagram, we've all taken them. And chances are, I mean, if you're like me, you've gotten little use, little to no use out of the results or information. And what I found that's missing is the plan to take that information and use it to your advantage to be able to accomplish anything in your life. Personality work, when done properly, you can use it to get to the depths of the psyche, or you can keep it at a superficial mindset only level. Really, you can use it to get up or down the channel of healing, and you can do it in a pretty rapid pace. There's a lot less throwing stuff against the wall and seeing if it sticks. It can be used for habit, habit and behavior changes, as well as illuminating our shadows. You know, there's a lot of ways to source your shadows and to address them and illuminate them. But with the proper personality assessment system, the proper personality typing and the work that ensues with that, is going to point out the shadows that you are creating and that you are avoiding. I wouldn't say instantly, but very rapidly. It's going to point it out really quick. I really believe that that this work is is and 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 the exercises that go with it. Like you don't just figure out someone's personality, right? But the personality work and the exercises that accompany it, I really believe, is a foundational reason why my programs have been so successful. Especially in the last year, year and a half, I've seen results really just uh, blow me away. It's nothing that I was foreign to in the past, but the speed in which we got there was something that really, really surprised me. 
you know, for instance, like, you know, self-love, love in general, like how often we just withhold love, right? And it, that has almost become a cliche, right? Self-love, now there's argument over whether it's narcissistic, blah, 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 which I won't get into that today. But like, how can you love someone else if you don't love yourself, right? But we're all told that we should love ourselves so that we can better love others. But there's no real instruction on how to do that, right? How do you do that? How do you get to love yourself? Well, it starts with getting to know yourself. How many people in your life have you loved that you didn't know? Right. And how many people in your life did you used to think that you didn't really care for very much? But once you got to know them, you found out that you had more in common with that person than you ever could have imagined. And here's another thing. So there is one person in your life on this eight on, out of all eight billion people on this planet. There's one exactly one person that, you know, for a fact. Was there for your first breath. Was there for your first kiss there for the first time you were really embarrassed first time you failed at something but this same person is the only person that you know for a fact that will be there with you when you take your last breath and that person is us it's you and the amount of effort that we put forth on a daily basis to avoid getting to know ourselves getting to know those shadow aspects of our behavior getting to know how much we project onto others and it's really sad because that's where the growth lies. I heard a saying this weekend that said, what, what lies in the unknown? The rest of you. And that was powerful. That was powerful. And then I had to overthinking of it and overthinking. And I was like, well, that doesn't really make sense. And I started, and I was like, just forget it. Like stick with the essence of that saying beautiful. Um, yeah, but people don't truly know themselves. And if you haven't taken the time to source your core motivations, like we all know what we're inspired by. Most of us know what we want to accomplish in life. And we think we have an idea of why. But I'm going to challenge you to really look into that and see if you really know. Because I'll tell you, when I went through this work myself and started sourcing my core motivations and my biggest fears and my thoughts around shame and guilt and regret I found out that I was really just kind of lying to myself. I was just kind of making up this persona and this image, and that's what I identified with. So that became who I am, right? But what I learned later was I was creating that persona and that image and, and that perception of me because it made my core motivation feel soothed. My biggest fears were left in the shadows when I adopted a persona like this. And we'll touch, in, touch base on that more, more in depth as we go here. So if this sounds like something that intrigues you, if this sounds like something that you have thought about but haven't really figured out how to source, stay tuned. Please stay tuned. I can promise you will love this show. And at the end of this show, I've got another clip for you. So we're going to take that same scenario of those two people. If you didn't, if you didn't tune in at the start, guys, I started this, this live with, with a little clip and it was just a little office office workplace skit and it was a manager who was who is very very much rigid very much on the perfectionistic scale and the employee was someone who's very much on the um individualist scale creative scale do things their own way scale and these two people were just trying to get their psychological needs met and neither one of them was really listening to the other 
So at the end of this, I am going to show you an example of how a similar workplace scenario with both parties being integrated, you really only need one person to be integrated for these things to go well, but where both parties are integrated, understand that they have psychological needs and so does everyone else. And they're willing to concede where it was appropriate and where, where they're going to hold their ground where it was appropriate. So same scenario, same two people, same personality types. It's just one example, they're integrated. The other example, they're disintegrated. Okay. So, so there is a happy ending to that original story. Like that guy didn't go find another job. Okay. So if you were worrying about that, you can stop worrying. All right. I got you covered. All right, here we go. So what is personality? Well, I mean, not the world's greatest expert on personality, and I'm not speaking for the world of personality or psychology or anything like that. This is, again, like anything else in this show, it's my opinion based on, on clinical experience, personal experience, research, and observation. So based on all that, the work I've done with myself and with clients and in all the books I've read, studied, the simplest way I can put it is, Basically, your personality is a strategy that we use to interface with the world to get our psychological needs met. It's also where we get stuck, typically because we don't know what our deep psychological needs are that we're trying to get met. Now, why would I want to understand that? Like, why does it matter? Right? I'm type A. I'm type B. I'm extroverted. I'm introverted. Um, but it goes deeper than that. And the more you learn about it, the more interesting it gets. And the more interesting it gets, the more you put in play. And the more you put in play, the more positive feedback you get and the less stuck you get and the less sabotage you experience. So that's why it's important. But you waste a lot of miles per gallon if you don't. You spend a lot of time in patterns that don't serve you, where you end up stuck in a spot. You try a bunch of different things, use different aspects of your personality. They don't work. Your psychological needs of your core motivation are not met, and you end up back at the start. And that's what we call patterning. So if you get stuck in a facilitated pattern, you're going to have a difficult time sourcing that and figuring out where that's coming from. Typically, we turn to, you know, some influencers that might say some really poignant things, you know, give us some quote from Buddha or Christ or something like that. And it might speak to us and it might feel good and it might scratch the itch for now. But what caused that itch? What's making it itch? That's what we need to get down to. And that's where a lot of these systems fall short, quite short. So short, they don't even know that this aspect exists in my mind from, from, what, I've, from what I've uncovered. But why would I want to understand that? You, you waste a lot of miles per gallon. You can understand why you can get stuck. You can understand how to get unstuck and stop sabotaging your success. More miles per gallon. And when you understand your core motives, you understand why you do anything that you do. Really, literally anything that you do. Especially if you have a strong sense of purpose going on with that. But what happens if you never find out those core motives? I go through life and never find them out. Well, it's not the end of the world. A lot of people do that. But I, I often use like Michael Phelps as an example. Tiger Woods is a great example. Well, we look at those people and we say they got it figured out. And I'm not saying they don't. They might. They might have sourced all this stuff and still decided this is what I want to do with my life. And I'm not saying being the you know second greatest golfer that's ever lived or the greatest swimmer that's ever lived is not something to be proud of. That's not what I'm saying. But why? Why are you pushing? right? Like that. 
So we'll give an unhealthy example. An unhealthy example we'll use in like the Tiger Woods. Again, I'm not saying this is Tiger Woods. I'm just using an, Tiger Woods as an analogy and we'll give like an interpretation how this can be unpacked as unhealthy. So Tiger Woods is a pretty damn good golfer. No matter how many tournaments like he won or didn't win, he's a pretty damn good golfer. Better than 99.999% of the people that will ever walk this planet with or without, you know, his 14 majors or however many he's got now. But for Tiger Woods, it's not enough, right? Tiger Woods wants to beat Jack Nicklaus, and he's made that clear since, you know, since he first stepped onto the PGA Tour. Now, for a guy like that, he might have a core motivation of success, of getting shit done, right? That's his core motivation. But why is that his core motivation? Some may say self-image issues. Some may say, you know, trying to overcome limiting beliefs. Some may say things like that. But if we tie it into the bigger picture, if we tie it into the core motivations or what we call in my work, the false core, let's say that guy has a core motivation to succeed. He wants to win more majors than anyone. But that is only because he has a false core that makes him think he can't do shit. So he's constantly trying to disprove this little voice in his head that says you're worthless. You can't do that. You'll never hold a candle to Jack. So we can see how something like that, digging into... So we can see how something like that, sorry guys, I checked my text. I thought someone might've been texting me saying my sound was off or something. But so we can imagine someone like that where they got that core motivation. You can't do shit. And they say, oh yeah, I can do this. And they're pushing and striving. Win one more tournament, win one more major, win one more tournament, win one more major, right? And the net result is the same, right? 96 PGA Tour titles, something like that, 14 major championships. But the same thing that's stuck in his head is the same thing that everybody talks about. He's never going to catch Jack. Now, how sad is that? That guy could absolutely fall into the belief that he wasn't good enough, that he couldn't do shit, right? So that's how not being in touch with your core motivation, even though the accomplishment is the same, makes it unhealthy. Now, if you flip the script on that, let's say he did get in touch with his core motivations. He did get in touch with why he does anything. And he realized that he had a core or a false core of, I can't do, I can't accomplish, I can't get shit done. If he had that and he sourced it and he was able to dismantle that and consequently integrate that. And he said, you know what? I've come to the conclusion that I'm on this planet for a good time, not for a long time. And that I have the opportunity to take this God-given gift that I have, which is golf, and the secondary God-given gift, which is just being a human with all the complexities of our nervous system and our musculoskeletal system and our big brain and our strong intuition and our capability to love and do for others. Like he's going to take all of that and he's going to see what the hell he can do with it. And if he gets to 16 majors, awesome. If he gets to 14, pretty darn sweet. If he gets to 20, awesome but he's just going to be satisfied with doing the best he possibly can. Can you see how those two set of circumstances, same people, same personality, same false core, same core motivation, same thoughts around fear, shame, and guilt, same exact results manifest in somebody who in retirement 
is totally content with their accomplishments and what they did and realize that they actually overachieved. Whereas the former example might sit around thinking about what could have been. Now, how many people do you know that played high school sports, played high school football, basketball, track, what have you, and they're stuck in this same rut? See, that person did not source their core motivations and dismantle and integrate them. So that's how personality and the knowledge of it and its effects can keep you on the road to success, but more importantly, on the road to success, knowing why you're headed there, knowing what your purpose is, knowing what fulfillment is and is not, and just realizing I am pre-accepting of all the, all the results. What matters is that I went and gave it an effort and that I gave it my best effort. Huge difference there. So you can get, you can get unstuck from faulty patterns and relationships and, you know, objectives in relation to your, to your goals. But if you don't understand why you're probably going to end up projecting those fears, right? Out of insecurity, out of a sense of lack, out of a sense of, I haven't done enough yet, or I'm not as close to my goals. I'd like to be might lack the awareness to look backwards and see what we've accomplished to kind of take inventory of just how in alignment we actually are. And maybe we realize that those times that we spent out of alignment, we're actually done so, so that we can get some pause, so that we can get some rest, we can recalibrate. But if we don't know that about ourselves, we might sit back and judge those periods of inaction when we were really recrafting our plan. And any time that we start to shoot ourselves to death or condemn ourselves, really ask ourselves, whose voice is that? Who's telling me that? Is this something I made up about myself? Or is this a teacher? Was this a parent? Was this a sibling? Was this a coach? Was this somebody that imparted this belief system on me? Where I see a great need for this type of work in the spiritual work, in the mindset work that's out there now. There's a lot of wonderful stuff out there, a lot of wonderful stuff. And definitely not poo-pooing their efforts at all because I think it's amazing. Inner child work, shadow work, father wounds, soul fracturing, your basic psychologist that thinks from a holistic perspective, like all that's beautiful. But one thing I, I really believe is missing in that whole game is is getting down to that false core, getting down to that core motivation. Because otherwise you're chasing symptoms a lot of times. You're chasing, you know, tracing things like, when's the first time that happened to you, right? And, and then we start dismantling that event, which is, that's a part of the process, guys. That's a part of the process. But we, dis, we get attached to events and we get what some people call like wound worship, where it's like, we always got to pull the inner child out and talk to it. And that's an age regression. And if we're constantly age regressing, then we're not healing. We're not progressing. We're still stuck. We're still fractured. It's just that we found a place where we were fractured and we can go visit that whenever we want. So we can bring it more to the conscious instead of the subconscious. But being unable to source it at the root cause at the quantum level, we're just chasing, chasing down experiences. We're dismantling experiences. And that does release trauma. That does release somatic storage. Absolutely, it does. But it doesn't prevent it from happening again. And when I say it, it's not the event that happened. It's our response to the event. 
you know, a good working definition of trauma that I came across not too long ago was trauma is just any event that occurs at a time that you were unprepared for it. That's powerful. That's powerful. Because that goes for anything like acute trauma, chronic trauma. Um, it goes for any of that stuff. And so what I mean by what's going to prevent it from happening again, right? Someone victimizes or abuses you. Of course, you're going to experience that as trauma, of course. But we're, if the more aware we are, the, what lies under the subconscious that, that is really getting wounded there, our false core, then the next time it happens, we can dismantle the false core. The event is still going to be traumatic and we can reframe it and see it for what it is. And, but we also have to give the false core some love. We have to dismantle that false core. An example would be you take, let's take an abuse situation. Let's say somebody gets jumped at a concert or something, right? Gets physically assaulted. Um, while I might have a false core of weakness and vulnerability, someone else might have a false core of inadequacy and someone else might have a false core of, of worthless, right? Um, but that's going to highlight all the traumatic events in our life that called out to those things, that called out to weakness, that called out to inadequacy, that called out to worthless. It's a compounding effect. It's a compounding effect. And so when you're able to dismantle your false core, you can apply that to big traumas. It's going to require different work. You can require apply that to daily traumas. It's going to require a lot less work. But the more you dismantle and the better you get at dismantling it, the less it accumulates in your body. And therefore, we are more prepared for big unexpected events in our life. Now, how I use it personally is pers how I use personality personally with my clients is I use the Enneagram system. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, chances are you like it. Most people I've met are really fond of the Enneagram. It tells us a lot. So ba basically an overview of the Enneagram, basic overview here is there's nine different base personality types. We possess all of them. We use them all to get our psychological needs met. Now, like I mentioned earlier, we have a a core motivation that is coming from our base personality type. And that is the thing that we are protecting, resisting, or reinforcing. So I use mine as an example. I'm a type eight in the Enneagram scale. Type eight's what's considered the leader or the challenger. And their false core is weakness, vulnerability, losing control. So their projections come out as strong, invulnerable, and totally in control. But if they're not in touch with it at all times, they're fearing that sense of vulnerability, weakness, and loss of control. So me as a type eight, I'm using all the other types to avoid feeling weak or to prove my strength. Now, because I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on my false core and its effects, and I regularly dismantle and integrate it, they rarely affect me deeply, but I still have my triggering moments, absolutely. But I'm using like the peacemaker in me to feel strong. I'm using the nurturer in me to feel strong the helper, right? I'm using the perfectionist in me to feel strong and in control. Now, to the degree that you get facilitated in certain patterns is the degree that you're not aware of all those aspects of yourself. In other words, we over rely on certain aspects of ourselves to get that psychological need met. I mentioned earlier the false core. What is the false core? It is that deep-seated delusion that we formed about ourselves. The reason why we fail, the reason why we're not enough, 
the reason why we fall short, the reason why we can't accomplish goals. All that is going to be tied into our false core. And again, there's, there's you know, nine to 25 different variations of the false core. Each personality type has, you know, one, two, or three that are likely options for them. But whatever it is, if you're feeling vulnerable, but your false core is unloved, it's going to be traced back to unloved. 100% of the time, it's going to trace back. We find out where we're compensating with that information. And we can figure out what we're compensating, what we're averse to, and what we're attracted to. Then we can really look at the shadows in our life. And when we look at the shadows, that's when shit starts getting real and we start becoming a complete person. As a reminder, shadows. If we were to take a look at everything that is in our world, external, internal, ethereal world, and we were to just say they are objectified and inside our body and inside our body is completely dark, but it houses all those aspects of ourself. What we do with our personality is like taking a flashlight and illuminating, highlighting certain aspects of ourself, of our being. And every time we illuminate something, every time we shine the flashlight on it, guess what we make? That's right, a shadow. We make a shadow with that. And so to, to the degree that we're facilitated or over-relying on certain aspects of ourself or under-relying on certain aspects of ourself, we create the same shadows. And the more about ourselves we're willing to get in touch with, the more we illuminate and the less shadows we create, right? In other words, we go from being in a pitch dark cave and just shining a flashlight on one object at a time to having a more global lighting system. So that's how the shadows are not created. There will always be shadows. We'll, we create new shadows all the time. But being brave enough, strong enough, and wise enough to be willing to look into those is really what it takes. References for, for what I've covered today so far, Rizzo Hudson, they write the Enneagram books. Uh, probably the most comprehensive one that I've read so far that provide the most value is called Wisdom of the Enneagram. Dr. Stephen Walensky, he's a quantum psychologist. His Way of the Human series, volumes one through three, mind-blowing if you're into deep reading things that require a heavy amount of processing power steve walensky might be for you and then of course dr carl jung is always a is always a go-to for this so so what i'm going to do now let's see if we can comments here john shared thank you brother i appreciate your support greatly thank you so much appreciate that so what i'm going to do now is i'm going to share my screen here uh, share my screen and I'm going to show you a chart that I use and I am going to show you how I interpret a chart and this is just going to be a brief overview just like a mile high look at this but you're going to take a look at this person's chart and I'm going to show you exactly how we can source this person's pattern and likely come to a conclusion on what is ailing them so let's see here we're going to go to share screen and for those of you just listening I apologize I will do my best to describe this this graph for you. All right, so here we have, if you can see the screen here, it might be kind of hard to see, but we got a graph here. It says week eight playwork. This is from a Enneagram graph interpretation class I just took. The name of the company is Inner Compass Nine, Inner Compass Nine, owned by Jason Olivia. If you're interested in this type of stuff, if you're a coach, you're looking to provide services like that, reach out to me. I can get you in touch with him. Provides a great course, a great learning environment, and excellent structure. 
So on the, on my screen here, I've got a graph here. It's got an X axis and a Y axis. And in the middle of the graph is a blue line, guys. So if you're just listening, tuning in on podcast platforms, imagine that. So you've got an X axis, Y axis, looks like a typical graph. In the middle of that is a thin blue line. And that thin blue line represents that median score. So basically, they take this test, they get a, a, a numbered score for each of the nine personality types. And that gives you an idea of what their base personality type is. And it also lets you know what their strategy is to get their base personality type psychological needs met. So if we take a look at this graph right here, this is a type eight, which is the same type I am. So this person we know has a false core of weakness, vulnerability, and they're probably going to and losing control. And they're probably going to err on the side of projecting strength to people as opposed to weakness and vulnerability. Now, we're going to talk about how they're using all nine types here to get that need met. Okay, so if we take a look at this for you guys listening in, all right, on scores one, three, eight, I've got 81, 83, 93. On scores two, four, nine, I've got 66, 57, and 70, respectively. And on scores five, six, and seven, I've got 71, 50, and 83. So the blue line is right at 70. So knowing those numbers, the 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 personality types above that line is what this person likes to go to, to feel strong. So I'm just going to point it out right here, what they are averse to. So this person, let's see, I'm supposed to come up with a hypothetical dilemma. So I'm just looking at this chart. This person has definite relationship issues, has a hard time with commitment, and has a hard time keeping people around, probably a male, keeping people around because they're just a little bit overbearing, a little bit aggressive and a little too task oriented. So people just don't jive. This, this person might be fun, but the fun is very much for purpose. It isn't, it isn't just willy nilly checking out. So I'm gonna tell you where I came to that conclusion. All right. So we take a look here. This person is totally averse to their emotional body, their creative body and their individualistic self. So being an individual, being creative, being attached to emotions and being overrun by emotions is little value, if any, to being strong and invulnerable and in control. Again, if I'm projecting strength, I probably can't get too wrapped up in emotion. This person having a high eight score, going to be very in touch with their anger. Anger is their favorite emotion drug. They're also very averse to their type six. So the type six is the loyalist in them. It is the it is a part of them that that functions well in a team, but needs to be a, feel like they are supported and not alone. So you need a good leader for a type six. You need a good team for a type six to feel secure. So this person probably doesn't need to delegate a whole lot to people they don't trust. They probably don't need to feel supported. Very high on the task goals and leadership scale. So if you support them, great. But if not, f you. I'm going to go find my team and build my team. We're going to kick your ass. That's probably how this person is coming across quite often. Low anxiety, high anger. Sixes have a lot of anxiety. The lower the six score, the lower the anxiety. He's got a lot of anger, doesn't need that anxiety. Type seven is the enthusiast in him. Okay, oh, sorry, jump, jump ship here. So those are the parts of them they're really averse to, right? It's that anxiety, that anxious, uncertain, always got to double check, need support constantly, need constant external validation. That's a part of them that they see no value in in, um, in uh, gaining strength. And they also see no value in being tied to their emotional body. Situationally, they use their intellect when necessary. If they feel like it'll make them seem strong 
or in control, they'll use it, but they don't need to. They've got power. They've got power in their hands. Let's see the peacemaker part of them. That's their type nine. Not interested in keeping the peace. Doesn't doesn't matter. Price sees weakness in peacekeeping. Sees weakness in emotional overexpression. And uh, this helper score right here, the type two, score of 66. Averse to that as well, being others focused. So this chart says this person is a lot about them, a lot about their accomplishments, and a lot about what they need to survive, be strong, and be in control. So what are they attracted to? This person is attracted very much to excitement. This person likes excitement, likes excitement in their life, likes to try new things, but it's got to be on their, it's got to be on their schedule. It's got to be under their terms, right? And I say that because there's no peacemaker score here. There's no anxiety surrounding support and, and the team around them. Okay. So this high type seven here tells me they like to have fun. They probably, maybe when they get too busy, they might go to Vegas for a weekend. They might take uh, lavish trips, places, really, really live it up. But 90% of the time they're getting shit done. So they find the most value in remaining in control, being structured and organized. That's this type one score and being able to motivate themselves and, and, and put their work on display and be very, very goal oriented. This is the get shit done triad right here. The one, three, eight, this three score is very much about getting stuff done. Remember in our example of Tiger Woods, this was the false core of non-doer. You can't do, you can't do nothing. So getting stuff done, staying structured and organized and damn near perfect is going to make this person feel. And if they can sprinkle in some fun and excitement, that's what this person needs to feel strong, they think. Now, why would this person have emotional issues or relationship issues? Well, they got to get in touch with their emotions. They got to get in touch. They got to quit lying to themselves that they're not a unique individual and that their uniqueness and their creativity matters. And uh, got to get a little more team oriented here, a little more trusting a little to people that they might not delegate to so that they can, they can maybe have a little more peace in their life, a little more peace and quiet. It's like this person uses just enough peace in them to get what they need out of it. And then after that, they're just gone. There's like, all right, that's enough soft shit. We're done with that. So really a little more team oriented attitude, others focused. That's that low two score as well. Be a little more others focused, a little more tied into your emotions and a little more trusting of other people to get shit done for you right so that type of person you can imagine in a relationship they might get they might have a lot of really hot re relationships at the start they might have a lot of like attractor qualities to them they might have the ability to wow whoever they want and this person's probably really successful financially get a lot done there's probably a lot of like image heavy emphasis on who they are. And so they're going to present with a good image. They're going to present always, always buttoned up and always looking their very best, not a thing out of place, going to have a nice car and they're going to go exciting places. So this is the type of person that could probably get a lot of relationships, but keeping them is the problem, keeping them is a problem. They're going to be emotionally unavailable and they're going to be not trusting and they're going to hide their anxiety and they're, it's going to manifest as anger. So that is probably this person's biggest issue with relationships. All right, now, that's pretty much all I had to cover on the Enneagram in itself. And I hope you can, I hope you get a bit of an idea of how just understanding that about yourself. So this person's particular pattern is they start off wanting to be strong 
And then, well, how am I going to get, get strong? Well, I got to prove I'm worth something. So to prove I'm worth something, I better go accomplish some stuff. Right. So he goes to accomplish some stuff and maybe through the course of that, they feel like they lose some control somewhere in the process. And so they've really got to button that up with rigidity. So they really bounce. It's almost an equal score here between their perfectionistic side and their, their get crap done. Look at me, look what I can do. Look what I accomplished. That makes them feel strong and they get stuck in this pattern. They have a very limited pattern here. So it's all about getting stuff done, staying structured and organized and have a little bit of fun. So I'm guessing escaping into their type seven, which is their enthusiast, which is the one that likes to go have some fun, experiment with life, be experiential in life, fear of missing out. There probably gets to be a point to where they just feel like they just can't produce one more thing. They just can't do one more thing. So I need to check out and go have some darn fun. A good instead there would be maybe that's your soul telling you that you need to slow down, get in touch with your soul, maybe check in with the Lord and see where we're at what's what and that would be involved you know going more into their four and their two for themselves that emotional body but instead they choose to escape through doing and they get stuck in this pattern i just can't figure out why i can't keep a woman around you know got a private jet i got a rolls royce i got four houses we go to we go to peru we go to costa rica we go all these places Right. But as soon as we get home, you're not answering text messages. You don't want to have those deep, important conversations and and you just don't have emotional time for the person who loves you. So in this person's mind, they have a high value placed on getting stuff, stuff done an image. He's done that. So he doesn't understand why people don't want to stick around. That's an example of a facilitated pattern. Now, once that person gets in touch with the fact that everything they're doing is in an effort to feel strong or to avoid feeling vulnerable and out of control. Then they can see what they're doing. That person can get in touch with you know, uh, how much is enough to accomplish? Like how many cars do you need? How many houses do you need? How important do you need to be to other people? These are the types of things that that individual would benefit greatly from getting in touch with. So I'm going to open it up here for Q&A. If anybody's got anything before I do my closing little video here. All right. It looks like we are done for comments. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And how can you use this information presented today? What can you do about it? Well, what you can do right now is you can get an Enneagram test. You can go to EnneagramInstitute.com. You can get their Enneagram test. If you want a really comprehensive, in-detail one, like the one I shared with you today, reach out to me on DM. I'd be happy to get you access to that. And for a very small investment, I can, I can interpret your chart for you. And we can find out where you've been stuck, if, if at all, and how to get you out of that stuck pattern and and, and what ways you can, you can express different aspects of yourself to get more in touch with yourself. Again, that's part of the services I offer. Any program that you enroll with me in, you have this as an option. I don't force anything on anybody. I do make it a contingent of working with me that you will take an Enneagram test, but that's so I know who I'm working with. We can put as much or as little work into this process as you'd like, but whether you're getting a back pain program or you're getting a weight loss program or you're trying to clean up your gut, heal symptoms of, of, of autoimmunity, what have you, through diet and lifestyle, you're going to get access to something like this. And I've also got just Enneagram programs too, which have been paying off big time for people. So you spent three months getting down, to, getting down to all this information here and putting it in play on a weekly basis. I don't make many promises, but I can promise you will be blown away. You will be blown away.
All right, guys, I just want to throw that out to you and share that with you. I've been talking about it a lot lately and, and people seem to be um, kind of confused when I start explaining it. So I just want to get this on video, get it on tape so that uh, I can have this for future reference and you can have this for future reference. If you found value in this, please share it. And if you're tuning in later, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. If you tuned in now, I appreciate you for tuning in now. And I'm just going to end you with the happy ending here of of our little our little work workplace experience. So I'm going to pull that video up for you. Much happier ending on this one. This is what it should be like, guys. You know, when I was managing stores for 20 years, it was always a struggle until it wasn't. And what made it not a struggle is to just look at your people as people, not as a threat to, in my case, a threat to my power and and strength and vulnerability as a father and as a husband. You take care of your people and they will take care of you. That will never change. How's it going, boss? Hey, Johnson. Thanks for coming in. Hey, listen, your team lead left me a note last night. And he said that you're doing something completely different than the rest of the team. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, company policy is that as we throw our freight and we collect our cardboard, we throw our cardboard in the recycler each trip. Uh, well, I found for me, it actually works better to just save that up for break time. And what I found is that when I save it up for break time, I don't disrupt my freight throwing flow with recycling cardboard. And when I get back from break, I'm ready for a new task. So I come back from break, ready for a new task. So that's when I recycle my cardboard. And while I'm recycling my cardboard, I'm thinking about how to best get my next aisle of freight thrown. Uh, so I'm actually actively planning and visualizing my next step. I found it works really good and creates a massive amount of flow in my work shift. Hmm. That's fascinating. I've never thought about doing it like that. How do you know for sure that this is more efficient? Well, actually, I timed myself. You see, when I was first hired on here and I was... I was given the company objective of 50 cases of freight thrown per hour. I thought that that was a little bit low. But when I started, I saw why it was 50 cases per hour instead of 70 or 75, and that's because of the cardboard recycling policy. So I was hitting 50 right off the bat, and then I got up to about 60, and I couldn't really get more than 60. And I found out the reason why I couldn't get more than 60 was because of that trip to the cardboard recycler every time I had to go to the back room. So since then, since I've swapped, I'm up to 90 cases per hour. You are at 90 cases per hour. I didn't even think that was possible. You know, that's one thing that I really appreciate about you, Johnson. You are not scared to be different. You are not scared to try things your own way. And I'll gotta admit, when you first came on and we first hired you, I was a little bit nervous. I have a hard time letting go of control of things as you may have noticed. But you're really, really making me get more comfortable with that. Wow, I really, I really appreciate that. I can honestly say that I don't know if I've ever had a boss that has treated me like you do. Typically, it's a complete opposite. They don't understand why I do what I do and, and they think that I'm just trying to be different to be different. But I really like to try creative ways of doing things. And I have no problem going back to a way that's more effective, but it's just part of me. I just, I just have to try, I just have to experiment. I just have to see what would happen if we did it this way? I just want you to know, boss, that 
I know how important it is for you, for us to get everything right, and for us to meet all our quotas and objectives. And it's just as important to me as well. And I can't thank you enough and tell you how much I appreciate you allowing me to figure things out on my own and to help myself find better ways of doing things for me. Well, to be honest with you, Johnson, I think I'd be a pretty poor manager if I didn't allow you to do that. You're just making our team better. Hey, listen. There's a spot opening up in a couple months. Your boss, your current supervisor. I don't know if you've heard, but Steve is retiring. He'll be retiring in about four months. And while I like Steve a lot, he's kind of stuck in his ways. What I'm thinking we need there is some fresh ideas, some new blood. Maybe somebody that can show the team how to do things a little bit differently, if that's what we need. What would you say your level of interest would be in that position?